This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. They should know that the repercussions are very clear for when they do those bad things. However, everyone should be welcome to their opinion. Speech is free, but does have consequences. Defamation today is global, eternal, and instant. And the law hasn't caught up with that. But how should those different campus viewpoints be handled? I don't see like letting someone use hate speech in the classroom or something as like a good learning experience. Campus free speech, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The First Amendment guarantees that we have the right to freedom of speech and expression without interference from government, except in limited circumstances such as when public welfare and safety are at issue. It's a wonderful principle. But in our more complicated world these days, putting that principle into practice at times proves difficult. Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller has our report. At first blush, limiting speech and expression at college might seem like a foreign notion in a country where people profess to hold the First Amendment so dear. Better to be offended and learn than to not be offended and learn nothing, the prevailing thought goes, and we're better to learn than at college. Hansing Bretling gets that. But spending the past year as the University of Northern Iowa Student Government Diversity Director, he also gets this. To me, I don't see like letting someone use hate speech in the classroom or something as like a good learning experience. <laughs> Mostly it puts people on the defensive and makes it a very uncomfortable, intense classroom and professors don't know how to handle it or not equipped to turn that into an educational experience. A drive is underway nationally to understand whether or not a line you should not cross exists when dealing with speech and expression on college campuses. Iowa has provided fodder for the discussion. Attempts late last year, for example, to define free speech zones at Iowa State University, where, by the way, university officials also were fighting the court-allowed use of ISU logos on pro-legal marijuana t-shirts. An attempt in 2013 to force a Des Moines area community college student to use a free speech zone when handing out leaflets. Chalked hearts by abortion opponents this spring erased on University of Iowa sidewalks. A spring war of words at Cornell College in Mount Vernon, Iowa, over immigration issues in particular, but also other speech that has prompted administration to hold public meetings with students. Iowa Watch and college student journalists have interviewed students, faculty, and administrators for a special report on finding the boundaries of acceptable speech and expression at Iowa colleges and universities. Cardi Yerkes, the University of Iowa Student Government Communications and Marketing Liaison, responded this way. So I don't think there should be limitations on the speech, but I think the repercussions for people when they do say very hateful things or hurtful or use rhetoric that's just absolutely terrible. They should know that the repercussions are very clear for when they do those bad things. However, everyone should be welcome to their opinion. I'm Dr. James Hampton. I'm the Stein Endowed Chair and also a professor of biology at our august institution, Buena Vista University. College campuses are places of the exchange of free ideas. So I don't think it's sensible to try to restrict the kinds of things you talk about. But I do think it makes sense that if you're trying to convince somebody of uh, that your idea is the correct one, that you use language that lets them hear you. If you're using hateful language, they're not going to hear your ideas. They're going to hear your hatred. 
Miranda Pollack, a Univista assistant professor of graphic design, talked about being able to protest while a student a few years ago at the University of Wisconsin in Madison about state moves to crack down on unions. This was where Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker famously took on teachers' union collective bargaining rights in 2011. From a personal note, it helped me grow as an individual to be able to be a part of a group that could freely speak about their displeasure at what the government was doing, the government of that state. It was um, powerful. It was extremely powerful. And now as an educator, I look back at that and I wish that our students had more opportunities. Maybe not that things like that would occur, but that we had opportunities to speak out. It's important to extend that dialogue to people who might not care at all about it. On April 2nd, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and the Museum Institute invited 42 college students to Washington, D.C. to talk about the topic. Three students invited were from Iowa State University, and two of those were involved in the Iowa Watch Project. Iowa Watch was invited too on the professional side. The Knight Foundation and Museum Institute are preparing a report for later this year that is to have suggested guidelines. Gene Polisinski, the Museum Institute's Chief Operating Officer. I tend to always say more speech is better than no speech or limiting speech. But I have to admit, in a, in a world where speech can have such impact so fast that I may not have time to properly respond as I might have to a newspaper article or even a television broadcast, we at least should re-examine those things. Polisinski says technology plays a role in the way people speak in public, but speakers' motives play a role as well. Defamation today is global, eternal, and instant. And the law hasn't caught up with that. So I think while the same values are coming into play, uh, and those haven't changed, people's reputations should not be unfairly tarred or targeted, uh, there is a different circumstance today, and technology is a part of that. It'll be wiser minds than mine that say the coarseness is a result of technology or the technology is just a mechanism for a coarseness that was always there to be more obvious. The Iowa Watch College Media Journalism Project revealed an aversion to limiting speech and expression on campuses where we talked with people. But a willingness exists for some kind of boundary when it comes to hate speech or speech intended to harm someone. Therein lies the next layer of the discussion, defining that kind of hurtful speech. A National Gallup poll survey for the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and Museum Institute showed that seven of ten college students nationally favor policies against slurs and other intentionally offensive language. We close with Shannon Reed, Associate Professor of English at Cornell College at Mount Vernon, Iowa. Well, we have limits on free speech in the United States. Um, things you, you can't... Um, incite people to riot, you can't engage in libel, you, um, right, and, and, and we have restrictions on hate speech and that sort of thing. So, so the, the broad question, should we allow free speech on college campuses, is already somewhat restricted just by the laws we have. Outside of that, I would say no. Um, and college campuses, I think, should m invite and then model how to engage in conversation about difficult and controversial topics. Thanks to these journalists who provided audio for this report. Nicholas Fisher at the University of Northern Iowa, Krista Johnson at the University of Iowa, Michaela Tendall at Iowa State University, Claire McCarthy at Cornell College, 
and KBVU reporters Brittany Poppy, Kyle Wiebers, and Tiffany Brockman at Buena Vista University. I'm Lyle Muller with the Iowa Watch Connection. We continue our report on campus free speech issues now with a conversation between Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller and Nicholas Fisher, editor of the Northern Iowa newspaper at the University of Northern Iowa, a member of the Iowa Watch team that produced our report and the team member, in fact, who suggested we report on this topic in the first place. What were some of the main takeaways that you got from the people you interviewed? Yeah, um, that the issue is complex and that it should be so. Um, One professor remarked that if this is an easy uh, thing for you, if it's easily uh, free speech at all costs, if it's easily... uh, I shouldn't be offended. I can't. I shouldn't be offended in any way. Then, then I don't really trust that person. He didn't really trust somebody who who thinks it's this is an easy thing. So, um, I think that's the general takeaway. Um, I've also come under the impression that both sides, if there are sides to this uh, debate, are to a degree talking past each other. Um, when we look, when I spoke with uh, people of color. Um, and ask about free speech and the limits of that. They they call that called to mind issues of what I would say are harassment or um, endangerment in cases um, which are not necessarily p- protected by um, the First Amendment. Um, so then, so on one side they're talking past each other, and then on the other side, um, the the free speech advocates are uh, seemed to be not considering that context um, for the perhaps more liberal side. When you went to talk to people, students and faculty alike, did you find an acceptance that this is an important topic on campus? Yes, uh, I think unanimously. Um, seemed every, uh, fat, whether they're faculty or students, everybody has an opinion on this. Why do you think that is? Did you get any impressions from the people you interviewed? Yeah, um, I think part of it is that it is that national issue. Um, there are publications seem to be weekly that um, release uh, columns on this and and the like. But also that um, with each new generation, it seems there is there's some sort of um, primary cause for activism, and I think this one might be. Uh, might be our generation to a degree. You're the editor of the Northern Iowan at the University of Northern Iowa. Are people engaging in this conversation in your newspaper? Yes. Um, I've hired columnists that uh, have discussed this independent of my uh, 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 bringing that up. Um, But then also there are letters to the editor that have been written about this. Um, and and more specifically about forums related to race issues, which are related to free speech issues. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a conversation that's happening in my paper too. So. But no particular boundaries being found, correct? Uh, nope. It seems it seems that everybody just that uh, everybody just has the opinion that it's a complex uh, issue and that they're trying to figure out those boundaries. Nicholas Fisher is editor of the Northern Iowan newspaper. Coming up, we'll hear what college students think about free speech nationally 
and how those thoughts fit in with other things that should be considered. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. In March, the Gallup Company conducted a survey for the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and Museum Institute to find out how college students in the United States interpret their First Amendment rights and how those rights fit in with other considerations. Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller interviewed Sam Gill, Vice President for Learning and Impact, with the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation about the study at the Museum Institute in Washington, D.C., where Gill released details of the study the first weekend of April. What were the general conclusions that came out of the study that was done? Those are the few. I think, um, you know, first that, that, that college students, certainly in comparison to adults, are, are more optimistic they f- about, about uh, the freedoms of the First Amendment, certainly feel like they're more secure. Um, so that's one, uh, you know. But when when we ask them about about how uh, for the First Amendment um, and and freedom of press and speech in particular are applied on campus, we saw a much more nuanced picture. So first, um, students are in principle for press freedom. They don't think that you should be able to restrict the press, say, from a public event. Uh, when asked about that generally, but when you ask them about specific cases. Um, students really are willing to entertain expectations, or sorry, entertain restrictions. So they're divided um, about the notion that 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 that, that uh, having a safe space is an acceptable reason to deny press access. They're divided about, frankly, the idea that that not trusting the press to be fair is is a reason to to restrict uh, to restrict the press. And when you ask them about speech, you don't see quite the same level of division, but you see it. So um, again, students uh, feel very strongly about campuses being open places where any idea uh, can be spoken and that there shouldn't really be restrictions on even speech that might be offensive. But they do actually believe when you ask them about things like racial slurs or hate speech that there's a majority believes that that should you know that you should be able to have policies that can restrict that. When you ask them about um, Ask them about things like Halloween. You know, we've seen Halloween costumes on campuses, so costumes that that depict racial stereotypes. That you know, a smaller majority, but a majority thinks that can be restricted. The place where they're sort of, you know, unequivocal is really about uh, like political speech. So definitely, this notion of you know our ideologies, our sort of core political beliefs that they think you shouldn't be able to restrict. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, you, well, I was going to ask about how you measured this against what adults said in the study, because you did have a comparison there. Yeah. How did that go? So, unfortunately, we weren't able to compare on campus policies with adults. We were able to compare this at the attitudinal level. So, adults and students are basically agree almost in the same measure that, for example, the press shouldn't be restricted um, from a public from covering a public event like a protest. Uh, adults and students, adults or students are actually feel even more so than adults that educational environment should be open, any idea should be allowed, but a very healthy majority of adults 
else also agrees with that. So these are places that you sort of, at the level of principles, we have real consonance uh, between the general population and college students about, about these rights. Were the responses from the college students surprising to you? Um, you know, I, I don't think ultimately they were surprising because what you're seeing on campuses is it is a really healthy debate about when and how you can restrict um, some of the some of the freedoms under the First Amendment. I think that wasn't particularly surprising to me. I think that um, I think some of the things that I, I w- but I was I guess I was so here's what I was surprised by. I was surprised at the level of division. I wasn't surprised to see some students think these were good reasons, for example, to restrict the press. I was surprised to see that they were really split. Um, I think the other thing that surprised me was was to see you know how deep the distrust uh, in in the media was. For example, I think some of these underlying underlying um, b- beliefs and concerns about the role of the media, about social media. I think those things were a little bit more surprising. So, for example, it was surprising to me to see college students on social media say, "Yeah, we're we're unanimous in our belief that it's a great way to express yourself, and we're also." We agree. We're deeply worried about the fact that you can speak anonymously, or the fact that the dialogue isn't civil. I thought, um, I, I think it, it did surprise me to see to see people hold both of those views. Um, but I think it's also exciting. I think it's exciting to see a generation that is um, that is defined in some ways by their use of these technologies, um, being really reflective about about the good and the bad that can come with new ways of communicating with each other, and new ways of expressing their views. You saw some split in the way. People are getting information based on uh, cultural background or race. So, for example, African-American students versus white students were getting information differently. Can you explain a little bit about what's going on with that data? Well, I don't know if I can explain what's happening. I think the real big question is what's happening. What we saw in the survey is we asked uh, we asked students about where they go to to, to get news um, when they re- when they really want to know what's going on with current events or news. And what we found was just barely half of all students go to what what they see as sort of tra- a traditional news source, so a newspaper or its online variant, TV news, radio news. Um, and then the other half was divided between people who would go first to social media and then second to people who would go to news organizations but sort of non-traditional news organizations, so a BuzzFeed, a mic, uh, so these emerging online platforms that define what they're doing a little bit differently. And racially what we saw is that African-American students were more likely not to go to a traditional news source. So it was white students that were really driving that half that go to a traditional news source. You know, what's I think what's going on is the big question. I think it's, uh, you know, I would speculate that it's tied in with some of these trends we're seeing around trust in the media, uh, but I would also speculate that it's tied in with big changes that we're seeing in the news industry and where people go to get information these days and whether whether, whether the information they're getting is news or not. So I think um, I think that's, that's a really big question that we and others have been struggling with and that we and others, that the research makes me think that we and others need to get deeper on. Some of the narrative about free speech, especially with the current technology, is that people pop off all of the time on social media. They're quick to respond, and then that's what escalates speech. But your data showed some interesting things about that as well as far as how people are responding on social media. If they're a college student, can you share some of that? One question we ask people is if they think that Americans, whether whether Americans are good or bad, at hearing views other than their own, and 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 generally, so the general population in the U.S. actually thinks we're really bad at that. For example, so people generally don't think we're we're good anyway at hearing without defining where those opinions are happening. People don't think we're good at seeking out you know different views. That's not 
not something we're good at as Americans. I think one, you know, what was interesting to see for college students is that is that they I think they really do embrace the complexity of expression on social media. So we, when we ask them about social media as a place to, to express one's opinions, you know, really high, 80, 80, 88%, 89% say that social media is a great way to express one's opinion. So I think we see them really embracing these technologies and those, the, those low barriers to entry as being really important to enabling and facilitating expression. Um, you know, what, but what we also saw is that they see exactly the consequences that you're talking about. They see that low barriers to expression are low barriers to expression. They're really, you don't have to think always before you say or do something. You don't always have to face up to, to offline, to, to, in, to the, in, the consequences that might ensue in person when you say something. That can be liberating, but it can also lead people to say things that are less thoughtful or things that they, uh, that they would regret. I don't think that all of the ambivalence uh, about this has to do with, with you know, vitriol and the kinds of vitriol that you can see uh, on the internet, but I, I do think that you, that you see some ambivalence about that. It was interesting that what, the, one of the things that we asked about, we didn't ask about vitriol. We did ask whether the discussion on social media was civil or not, and most students disagreed with that. But we also asked about anonymity, which is, I think, something that you see college students talking a lot about, which is it's, it's not just that you can say anything and pop off, but that you can do it anonymously. And I think a question and a place for more research also is, you know, does anonymity facilitate different kinds of conversation and different kinds of speech and how we confront that? Sam Gill of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. Speaking with Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller in Washington, D.C., the first weekend of April. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.